All right, welcome to another edition of Doc Fermento Discovers the World. I think we're going to do a secondary ferment today. So we're gonna, um, welcoming back to the show Sandor Katz, the author of The Art of Fermentation. Welcome, Sandor. Uh, such a pleasure to be back with you, Brian. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure indeed. Um, I just recently got um, your new book, The Art of Fermentation, and... I was kind of blown away when I opened the box. <laughs> it's huge. Well, well, good. I'm glad I could blow you away. <laughs> how long? What? How long was this a uh, process in creating this? Um, I spent about two years uh, actually writing this book, um, and um, you know, pretty much the the decades before, um, you know, meaning since I wrote Wild Fermentation. Um, yeah, just just collecting information and you know having experiences with people that went into um, um, writing this book. Oh, it's a very nice uh, side note here. The the foreword written by um, Michael Pollan. That, that's pretty sweet. Uh, yes, yes, yes. I was uh, I, w- I was very very uh, pleased that he was uh, willing to do that. Um, and um, you know our. Um, our correspondence and relationship one, with one another, um, you know, began with his, um, you know, developing an interest in uh, learning about fermentation and fermented foods. Um, so it was, uh, it, it was really a, uh, an honor and a pleasure for me to, you know, get to um, uh, teach him about fermented foods. And um, I felt so honored that he was willing to write the foreword to my book. Yeah, that's great. It's uh, serendipitous even for me um, because it was your book, The Wild Fermentation, that kind of set me on the food path, um, culture, you know, food culture and being a better human. <laughs> but uh, and then the books I read following that were Michael Pollan's books. So, oh, great. It's okay. like uh, coming full circle. It was wonderful. Well, sweet. Well, I'm 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 so glad that my book was able to um, uh, you know, set you on this path that you have been following, and um, and that you're sharing it with so many other people. Awesome. Let's talk about the little critters now. All right. <laughs> Let's talk about the soil. Let's talk about microbes, bacteria, and coevolution. Yeah, coevolution. Yeah, that's a that's that that that's a big theme. I mean, one of the things that I'm trying to do, uh, you know, in this book and in the work that I'm doing more broadly is um, is really just to, to to broaden the context for how we uh, uh, think about fermentation. Um, and I think that um, you know, fermentation um, is just a very important uh, you know aspect of what we would call um, um, coevolution. I mean, at one, at one level, um, you know, we we human beings and all animals and all plants and all fungi and all multicellular organisms um, uh, composed of what what are called eukaryotic cells. Um, you know, the 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 latest and best thinking about that is that the evolution of eukaryotic cells comes from um, a, a, a fusion, a symbiogenesis uh, between um, uh, fermenting bacteria uh, and other uh, early single-celled organisms that became, uh, you know, sort of permanently institutionalized in a new type of a cell with a nucleus with fixed genetics, um, and, 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 and that's what gives rise to all multicellular organisms. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in this very tangible way, fermenting organisms are, are a big part of the story of, of our own evolution. And then if you think about the foods that we eat, you know, fermenting bacteria are also part of the evolutionary story of all of them. And so, um, you know, f- fermentation isn't some, um, you know, accident or discovery or or invention that human beings made, but it's 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 part of who we are, and there's a certain inevitability to the presence of these fermenting organisms on the foods that we eat, and uh, you know if we if we take that a, a it is a biological imperative for us to coexist with the microorganisms in our midst, then you know we could say that the um, 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 you know fermented foods and beverages are in a way uh, human cultural manifestations of this um, uh, biological imperative. I love it. I love biologic imperative. That sounds <laughs> awesome. That's the complete opposite of the world we live in today, you know, the war on the war on bacteria. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've we, we've all been, um, uh, you know, all, all of us, you know, raised in the late 20th century, um, uh, you know, certainly in the United States um, and in many other places as well, have really been indoctrinated into this idea that bacteria are bad, bacteria are dangerous, bacteria are enemies, and we should do everything that we can to wipe out bacteria. Um, and, um, you know, um, you know, our lives are full of chemicals that um, specifically kill bacteria. And, um, you know, if you look, if you if you go to the supermarket and look in the soap aisle, um, you'll you'll see that there's nothing sexier than a that a marketer could write on a container of soap than kills 99.9 percent of bacteria. We yeah, love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when in fact it is of no benefit to us to kill 99.9% of bacteria because we can coexist perfectly well with 99.9% of bacteria and in fact they are what protects us from the 0.1% of bacteria that really can create problems for mm -hmm. us. This really does create um, a negative environment. It is, it's not that it's not beneficial, it's harmful, this bacterial warfare, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say so. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not um, dogmatically opposed to the use of antibiotic drugs. I mean, I think mm -hmm. you know, clear, clearly they sure. have, um, you know, they they have um, um, uh, powerful applications. Mm -hmm. um, you know, pro probably many people listening to this podcast feel that at some moment in uh, in their lives, um, antibiotic drugs you know may have saved their lives. But you know, the thing about these 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 chemicals is we need to use them judiciously. And um, you know, there's widespread agreement that you know among the human population. Um, uh, antibiotic drugs are wildly overprescribed and wild and, and and overused, and this creates problems. And even more so than in the human population, uh, you know, animals that are being raised in our system of um, you know confinement. Um, um, uh, uh, agriculture um, are just routinely pumped up, which with huge levels of antibiotics, in order to you know protect them from infection from one another, and also to make them grow faster, because we're you know in a culture where where time is money, and you know any any uh, you know chemical means that we can use to um, promote faster growth, um, uh, 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 we're using. But as a result, of, as a result of this um, overuse of antibiotics, I mean, first of all, the bacteria which which are, you know, extremely um, uh, genetically flexible and can definitely uh, uh, out-evolve us um, uh, or evolving resistance to all of these chemical compounds. Um, um, and, you know, we also, it, it, these antibiotic compounds are accumulating in the water table. So we're all ingesting uh, antibiotic uh, uh, chemicals on a daily basis. Um, so, you know, for us in the 21st century, more than for people in the past, we really need to be um, consciously thinking about how to replenish and diversify these populations in our gut mm -hmm. because there are so many factors in our everyday lives, no matter, you know, how pristine, um, you know, the water that we drink, no matter how um, uh, conscientious we might be about avoiding certain chemicals, they're, they're, they're really just everywhere and we're all exposed to them. So, um, you know, as a counterbalance to that, as a corrective to that, we need to be thinking about ways to, um, you know, consciously, um, you know, invite bacteria into our bodies. And, um, you know, eating live culture foods is a great way of <clears throat> replenishing and diversifying these bacterial populations in our bodies mm -hmm. that that we need so badly. I mean, they perform so many functions for us. Um, you know, the obvious digestive ones where they um, enable us to digest uh, uh, nutrients that we wouldn't otherwise be able to digest. They enable us to assimilate minerals and other kinds of nutrients. Um, but they also play a huge role just beginning to be um, um, uh, understood in the crudest of ways in um, in our immune functioning um, altogether. I mean, a, a study that was released just a few weeks ago um, demonstrated that when you have an infection in your lung and your body starts fighting that infection in your lung, that response is actually mediated by bacteria in the gut. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, nobody fully understands what the mechanisms of this are. Right. But it's really clear that gut bacteria are hugely important, um, you know, for, you know, enabling us to function and maintain, uh, maintain balance in our lives. I actually just uh, got back from a conference in Chicago, Autism One, that was, it's, it's uh, you know, parents, 
um, uh, practitioners, um, you know, and, and, and other, uh, you know, and, and, and other people, um, you know, trying to care for um, uh, uh, children um, um, on the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. And, um, and nobody really knows what the cause of autism are. There's lots of theories, but 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 one of the um, theories that's really gaining a lot of currency um, is that um, uh, it's it's related to gut bacteria. And one of the treatments that a lot of people have uh, have been having success with, um, you know, is you know simply incorporating um, live culture foods into the diets of these kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, back to the, you know, the immune function that there is, you know, it's now being termed the gut lung axis, the gut brain axis, gut skin axis, where there is definitely, um, you know, a neurologic connection between the gut and these major systems of our body. So that's really fascinating. I know um, I've read previously the creator of Pickle It, I think her name was Kathleen. She makes uh, pickling jars, right? Fermentation jars. Um, they have a, a, one, a nice story on their site about um, her um, helping her adopted um, child that had, I think, autism, and recovery process um, that she discovered using fermented foods. So that's an interesting read. And yeah, and I mean, you know, it just just through the years, consistently. I mean, I just have heard so many anecdotal stories from from people suffering from different kinds of problems. Um, you know, lots of people with digestive problems. Um, uh, you know, parents of kids with autism. Um, uh, you know, people who feel like uh, 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 live culture foods have been part of um, you know their recovery from cancer. Um, you know, lo- lots of different things, and it's the kind of thing that you know really has the potential to benefit anybody's health without a huge cost. I mean, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not like taking a drug. That, it's not like taking a drug that could potentially have huge side effects. I mean, right. So you have the low I mean, risk, low cost. I'm, yeah. I'm really, I'm, I'm really wary of people making, um, you know, uh, excessive claims of the benefits of fermented foods or, you know, sort of saying this disease will be cured by can, by, by, Indeed. by fermented Indeed. vegetables that yep. one will um and but at the same time i feel like there's a, there's a huge potential for benefit um and, you know and nothing is lost like the worst the worst that happens is it doesn't help right and the there will be benefits that you probably won't even recognize it's almost guaranteed that you'll receive benefits because it's honoring an ancient pathway you right know, this the biophilic consciousness as you write so you know a lot of things that we do for ourselves we don't it's not going to have a cognitive note you know a noticeable difference where you can make a note of it hey today my eyesight improved 18 percent right you know but it's just an it's an overall slow emergence you know Right. Um, although, although some, sometimes you can perceive these things. I mean, I would say when I when I first started you know, tuning into um, the digestive benefit of, uh, of 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 lactic acid foods, mm-hmm. um, I started noticing that that the that the, the flavor that that the taste and even the smell of um, uh, lactic acid pickles would. Um, uh, make my salivary glands start to secrete. So in mm-hmm. a very kind of a tangible way, I could see that, um, you know, they were getting my digestive juices flowing as it were. Yeah. So- anytime you look in any food way or any, you know, the art of living itself, anytime uh, your actions are expressing, you know, uh, many responses in your senses, it always feels like you're, you're, you know, you're on the right path. Like you mentioned, you know, the smell activates the salivary glands, which is going to activate your digestive system, and it's, it's a great way to look at things. I, I love that. So, uh, so what have you been fermenting lately? I'm just kind of stuck in a rut. <laughs> I keep my kombucha going um, and yogurt weekly, and you know, we keep a ginger bug going. Well, you know, I mean, a, 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 a routine is not necessarily a rut. I mean, you <laughs> yeah, know, I'm the glass half empty guy, so I'm always going to talk like scobies, that. These scobies that are like having a pet. I mean, you know, yeah. really, it's a lot of work to keep them going and, you know, keep feeding them regularly. And, you know, just, just developing that kind of a rhythm is really challenging for people. What I want to know about is this yogurt that you have. 
that you, uh, you, yeah. you do countertop yogurt? Um, no, no, no. I mean, I, I'm using a thermophilic culture that needs um, incubation. Okay. So it's not it's not countertop yogurt. I use a um, uh, I use an insulated cooler, um, and I preheat it using hot water so that I'm not putting my you know uh, my my milk in uh, uh, inoculated with with uh, yogurt uh, you know into something cold which will drain all of its heat. I'm putting it into something that is the target um, uh, temperature. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, I mean, basically. Um, I've been using an heirloom yogurt culture um, from Bulgaria that I was able to actually buy on the internet from a website called culturesforhealth.com. And, um, you know, it was, it was a huge conceptual problem for me for years and years. When, uh, when I would make yogurt, I would just go to the store and buy some um, plain yogurt and use that as a starter. And I always noticed that after, you know, the first generation yogurt was great. The second generation yogurt was never quite as thick, but it was still good. But after three or four generations, it would no longer be recognizable as yogurt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I know that, you know, historically this is just a food that, um, you know, families have maintained for generations and, you know, that you should be able to, um, you know, propagate them. Um, but I just had never been successful doing that. And there was something about the store-bought yogurts. Well, it turns out that, you know, virtually all of the commercial yogurt that's available uh, uh, in the United States has followed the trend of, you know, rather than using, um, uh, you know, received cultures that can be these broad mixed communities – Basically, microbiologists early in the 20th century, uh, you know, looked at yogurt under a microscope and um, um, isolated a couple of the specific bacteria, um, Lactobacillus bulgaricus and Streptococcus thermophilus. And so, um, you know, they decided that among this broad community, those were the active um, organisms that make yogurt yogurt. And mm-hmm. so, that's now codified in um, in U.S. law in the International Codex Alimentarius. Yogurt is defined as a fermented milk product made with these two particular bacteria. Oh wow! And, you know, many yogurts have a third or a fourth bacteria also added to them, but these two have come to define yogurt. But you know, that was you know micro biologists' analysis early in the 20th century, and they sort of they 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 they. Um, decided that the rest of the organisms that were in the communities that they were looking at were not essential. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so what they are essential to uh-huh. is the, um, the ability of the community to maintain itself. You know, sure. Evolved communities of uh, microorganisms, um, you know, have really effective, um, um, you know, strategies to maintain themselves and this mm-hmm. is defense strategies against other types of organisms um, um, and so you know once you isolate particular organisms you are losing those community dynamics and so you need to get the isolated organi- organisms that have been propagated in a laboratory in order to start your yogurt and that's what you know sort of going and buying a um, um, a container of yogurt at the store you know represents is just continually needing to refresh your starter so you know now with this heirloom culture uh, uh, that I got um, I've made you know I would estimate 50 generations of yogurt with it and every batch is you know just as thick just as delicious as the as the last batch was um so um you know when once again um you know we 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 can see that these you know uh traditional received cultures um you know do have um you know sort of value that is, uh, you know, different from what the scientists who can be somewhat reductionistic have to offer. Mm-hmm. I'm sure for mass production, there are certain benefits to working with um, isolated, pure cultures. But for household production, um, you know, where you can get into a rhythm of it, mm-hmm. uh, it really is better to have um, a culture that can perpetuate itself. Right. Yeah. What's good for industry may not be good for your home kitchen. Yeah. Exactly. 
we seem to find come across this all the time. I love this uh, idea of um, you know us uh, isolating the this community and finding the the two leading uh, groups and then just completely whitewashing the rest. It sounds a lot like the way we treat our our fellow man. So, <laughs> well, also and also plant medicine. I mean, that, that, yeah. that's really the scientific approach to plant medicine is rather than just saying, um, you know, this this plant, you know, this uh, you know this dandelion, this comfrey, whatever 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 plant we're talking about, um, you know, has certain qualities. It's always um, you know this um, uh, urge to uh, you know, extract, extract right? the specific phytochemical compound mm. that is active. So, you know, rather than a, you know, holistic view, you know, that, that, that would say that, you know, that, you know, this whole thing has these uh, uh, qualities that we can make use of, you know, there, there's, there's this, um, you know, uh, um, urge to um extract and standardize and you know mm -hmm. so you know, you know this idea that you know well plants are crude but you know chemical compounds that we can extract from uh from plants or or synthesize mimicking plants um you know are somehow superior same thing in the realm of fermentation where the you know the entire thrust of the literature uh during the 20th century was um you know how can we take these you know traditional um you know crude Crude household and community ferments, and um, um, you know, isolate the important cultures, mm -hmm. reproduce them in a laboratory, and 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 really, you know, move production, you know, from the communities and into factories where, um, you know, where it is perceived to be more um, efficient. Sure. Uh, yeah, a lot of people confuse efficiency with sustainability as well. On larger scales, they think if something's more efficient, it's necessarily more sustainable. And in many things, it, it could be opposite, such as a meat production, you know, or something yeah, like that. I would say food production in general. I mean, yeah, you know, sure. we saw, you know, we saw this abandonment of the idea of you know regional and local food self sufficiency, and, and and in its place, this idea of um, you know uh, growing and producing food. Um, uh, you know, it, at huge scales in whatever places it, it might be most efficient. Um, but, you know, but then that creates all sorts of other problems where, you know, sort of food has to be transported for long distances. People don't get to eat fresh food. People aren't as connected to where their food comes from, um, you know, leads to economic disintegration in certain places, um, uh, you know, and, uh, and, 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 and so, you know, as, as, as people really, you know, all over the United States and, and, and beyond, um, you know, are recognizing the importance of of reclaiming food and, um, you know, supporting local and regional agriculture and seeing all the ways in which, um, you know, it's better to get local food, um, uh, you know, sort of beyond questions of, um, um, you know, sim simply efficiency. I mean, you know, what good does efficient food food production, uh, you know, get you if, um, you know, if, if we're worrying about fuel prices and how expensive it's going to be to transport, you know, if we've, if we've, if we've lost our capacity to produce our, 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 our food locally and regionally, then we are vulnerable to disruptions like that. And I, and I think, you know, most of us can, you know, see, see that coming. Yeah. It would seem to me that the true cost of industrial food is almost incalculable. It's, it's, it's so vast, and there's so many systems that go into supporting it. And they make it seem like it's so efficient, where one man can uh, manage 25,000 birds you know, in a shelter. But it doesn't take into consideration the massive amount of fossil fuels that go into maintaining such a, such a beast. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Um, you know, back to the... Um, benefits slash limitations of fermented foods. I would like to cover some of the limitations. I like the fact that you you cover that. You know, this is not a panacea for health. It's it doesn't. You know, it's not a miracle food in that. You name a disease, we're going to reverse it. Um, you even mentioned for your personal health, there's a lot of myth about you and your health that people claim that you have. Um, well, you you tell the story. Well, sure. Um, um, I mean, I've been living with HIV for um, 21 years now, and um, 
Uh, I wrote on the uh, back cover of Wild Fermentation that fermented foods had been an important part of my healing. And mm -hmm. I feel that that is absolutely true. Um, but many people have extrapolated from that that fermented foods, uh, you know, cured AIDS for right, me. Right, right. That, um, you know, fermented foods have been, you know, my, my sole exclusive treatment. And, um, you know, I, 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 I did go through a period of health crisis, particularly in 1999 and 2000, um, and, um, you know, ended up uh, – um, and that was, you know, after I was eating fermented foods, um, you know, which, and I was hoping that my story would be that just, you know, good, good, good living would keep me healthy. Mm -hmm. But I had this health crisis, and I ended up, um, you know, getting onto uh, you know what they call the cocktail, um, uh, antiretroviral and protease inhibitor drugs, and um, you know those those really did um, uh, reverse things. But you know we are we 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 are we we are not. Um, um, you know, th that's not the only variable. That's not the only thing that I do for myself. I mean, I also right, right. put a lot of my energy into into eating well. And eating well, um, you know, involves not only fermented foods, but it does include lots of live culture fermented foods along with lots of, you know, fresh uh, vegetables. Um, and, uh, you know, I, 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 I I, I do believe that that's an important part of what has kept me healthy, also. And I've, uh, you know, I, I've known lots of people who've been on the same kinds of drugs that I that I'm on, who've mm -hmm. had you know terrible digestive problems related to them. Your mm -hmm. diarrhea is not unusual, and you know I've just never had any of those problems. And I I, I, I feel like my uh, you know my somewhat uh, iron digestive constitution <laughs> uh, has has something to do with. Um, with these foods, and I, I sure. you know, I'm, I'm not a clinical practitioner. You know, mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. have like this, and and um, you know, prescribe treatments for people. But I, I do email with a lot of people, and 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 get emails from a lot of strangers telling me, um, you know, about their journeys with fermented foods, and um, you know, I just hear from so many people who tell me stories about how fermented foods, um, you know, have helped them overcome some, you know, chronic digestive problem that they thought that they'd have to live with for the rest of their lives. Um, you know, people who feel like, you know, it's helped them with Lyme disease, people, mm -hmm. uh, people with HIV who feel like it's been helpful to them. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to walk a fine line, uh, you know, between, uh, you know, really um, uh, celebrating and promoting the powerful nature of these foods and the potential of these foods to, you know, improve the health of, uh, of anyone, mm -hmm. uh, you know, while at the same time really trying to stay away from, um, you know, making any kind of claims of, uh, of miracle cures and it's sure. not i don't think they can be miraculously curative mm -hmm. and i have heard stories of people you know curing their skin cancer with poultices of sauerkraut um you know i i mean i do think that some people experience um uh, you know miraculous healing uh by incorporating um uh, uh foods like this into into their diet um you know but but you know you can't expect a miracle um, right right be, i know my be, a miracle, um, you know, lots of different kinds of things that that are, that are being good for yourself, um, and you know, it's hard to know which of those things actually, um, you know, made a difference. You know, if you're if you're sure. doing different kinds of things, sure. You know, bringing the body back to its, you know, homeostatics, you know, honoring its, you know, homeostasis, where it, you know, it's it's be, being the best it can be. You know, it's in balance. It doesn't necessarily mean it has the power to cure what the, the problem that you have, but it can help optimize, you know, the, yeah. the, your overall effect. I know when I started on kombucha a couple years ago, my eyesight dramatically improved to the point where I ended up losing my reading glasses. Wow. I, I ended up just, they just disappeared one day. But now that's say a year and a half ago or plus my eyes are returning they're they're slowly getting worse, you know. I, I need my I need reading glasses in the evening again, but um, I definitely did notice that um, my eyesight improvement. Fascinating. I hadn't I hadn't heard that one uh, uh, yet. You know, and there and there's this you know incredibly um, uh, uh, broad medical literature, um, you know, of clinical trials related to um, probiotics. Mm -hmm. 
And, um, you know, pro probiotics can be defined in a few different ways. I like the World Health Organization's uh, uh, definition, which is pretty broad, which, which, uh, which says that a probiotic, um, you know, is any ingested bacteria that confers benefits upon, um, you know, the, 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 the person or the animal that, that eats it. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the probiotic definitions are are somewhat more narrow and um, uh, and refer to actually cells of human origin, um, and which have been proven to have specific benefit. Ah, I see. Yeah. And of course, you know the the only the only uh, um, uh, probiotic organisms that have um, you know sponsors willing to spend money on um, on clinical trials for them are you know uh, people who who hold the patents to uh, you know specific strains of probiotic bacteria. Yeah, your big companies like Danone or someone like that, right? And you know, and honestly, um, you know, nobody holds a nobody holds a patent on sauerkraut, and so <laughs> nobody's really going to you know invest large sums of money on clinical trials for for sauerkraut. Right. But, you know, for specific probiotic strains, it's it's really quite extraordinary what what has been demonstrated. You know, um, you know, some strains have been demonstrated to reduce the um, uh, uh, likelihood of, of 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 certain cancers, or to improve survival of certain cancers, or mm -hmm. To um, you know, reduce the um, uh, uh, frequency, severity, and duration of cold and flu symptoms, or days absent from school or work, or survival rates, um, you know, after major invasive uh, uh, surgery for people who get probiotics um, in their IV drips, um, to uh, you know, improved kidney functioning, improved liver functioning, uh, improved immune function and people with HIV. I mean, it's really, it just goes on and on. It's really quite extraordinary. Um, you know, the question becomes, you know, how much can you extrapolate from that about, um, you know, sauerkraut, kefir, yogurt, um, kvass, kombucha, um, uh, etc. And, um, you know, those things just for, for the most part, traditional foods and beverages have not been uh, researched in the same way. But that doesn't mean that they haven't been researched at all. Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, the most interesting study that I've come across um, was uh, from some investigators in Spain. And they basically took, uh, you know, as their subjects, um, a group of individuals who all regularly consume live culture fermented products, at least five servings a week of uh, yogurt, sauerkraut, uh, fermented olives, live culture cheeses, salamis, um, etc. And they did some um, uh, baseline um, uh, blood and uh, uh, stool analysis um, of those people uh, looking at, at, at several different markers of immune functioning. So they got some, some baseline numbers for those people. And then they put them on a deprivation diet. They took their fermented foods away from them. And after several weeks of deprivation, um, uh, you know, all of those markers of immune functioning uh, were suppressed. Hmm. Wow. Um, across the group. And then they gave half the group regular yogurt and half the group a probiotic yogurt to see if there was a difference, uh, you know, in how the, the you know, standard uh, uh, traditional yogurt uh, versus the probiotic yogurt, the yogurt with specific probiotic strains added, uh, would be in um, um, uh, uh, reviving the immune functioning, um, re restoring the original levels. And they found both groups uh, a roughly equal recovery of immune function, but not all the way to what it had been. Um, you know, it got it part of the way back, mm. part of the way restored to what it had been, but it didn't get restored to its original levels until people incorporated um, a variety of live culture foods, not wow. just a single one. Mm -hmm to their diet. So, you know, of the research that I've, um, that I've surveyed, um, you know, that's the one that really, you know, confirms more than any other one, you know, that there is a uh, probiotic benefit to live culture foods in general, and that um, a diversity of live culture foods hmm. do you better than, you know, just eating one single kind of fermented food. Interesting, yeah. 
diff- different substrates have different bacterial stri- strains on them. Mm-hmm. And diversity really is the name of the game, especially when we're talking about restoring our gut bacteria. Huh. And it's, it's kind of ironic that the probiotics industry, um, you know, puts so much emphasis on super strains, single <laughs> strains. You know, sure. and if you read through their marketing, you know, each one is trying to tell you that they have the strain, um, you know, that, 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 that is the best one, um, you know, that's going to do the best for you. But, mm-hmm. you know, really the, the cutting edge of microbiology right now, they're rejecting the, um, uh, the idea of species in bacteria. And so, you know, because bacteria are extraordinarily genetically fluid, their bacteria, their, their genes are not fixed. They're not contained in a nucleus. Bacteria shed genes and pick up genes all the time in response to shifting conditions. This is part of what makes bacteria, you know, such, um, you know, so um, um, uh, evolutionarily you know, fast and flexible. Um, and so, so, yeah, so it's, it's as if there were like a, a super species. Exactly, exactly. And that, that's actually the language that some microbiologists are using, that there is one single bacterial super species with access, um, you know, to a vast array of genetics depending upon the environment and uh, the metabolic needs of that environment. Um, so, you know, so, so this idea of people selling you, um, you know, sort of uh, particular species of bacteria that are better than all the rest kind of misses that <laughs> point. And the best thing we can do for ourselves, um, you know, in, in terms of, um, uh, you know, restoring a, a thriving bacterial microflora or maintaining a thriving bacterial microflora in our gut is, um, is to ingest a diversity of mm material genetics, which mm-hmm. is what we find in a diversity of uh, uh, fermented foods. So that, that leads me to think about starter cultures. Um, when are these beneficial or when are they, you know, when should we, should we lean on them more, you know? Well, I mean, I think a lot of it depends on what you're fermenting. If you're fermenting raw vegetables, there's no need for starter cultures. You know, all the culture you need is on the vegetables that you're fermenting. Um, But it's significant that they are raw. Um, You know, if you're fermenting something that's cooked, you need starter cultures. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you know, certain certain fermented foods are defined by their starter culture. So, you know, yogurt, you you know, it doesn't have to be the isolated, uh, you know, two bacteria, um, um, uh, you know, that that have come to legally define yogurt. But you need a starter culture in order to make yogurt. Mm -hmm. You can make clabbered milk. You can ferment raw milk. And, and um, you know, and possibly get something uh, really delicious that you like as much as or better than yogurt, but it won't be yogurt, um, or it's not likely to be yogurt. I mean, of course, you know, conceptually, all all of these cultured foods had to begin as a spontaneous wild fermentation event, you know, in some particular environment at some time, um, but they have been perpetuated. Um, so yogurt is perpetuated by taking a little scoop of of mature yogurt and adding mm-hmm. that to your next batch. Um, you know, some of these cultures actually have evolved into distinctive physical forms. So um, you know, kombucha. There's the the, the rubbery uh, disc that floats at the top. That's the mother of kombucha. Um, kefir. Kefir. It's these little um, uh, cauliflower floret-looking uh, rubbery blobs that are called kefir grains. Mm-hmm. Water kefir, also known as tibicos, um, they're slightly more angular, granular li- little grains that are communities of, 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 of organisms. Um, so, uh, you know, certain foods really need starters. Um, you know, other foods, particularly when you're talking about um, uh, raw plant material, don't really need starters. Okay, that makes perfect sense. The only um, vegetable for me that I like to process by cooking first would be green beans. Um, I really like to um, blanch them and bring them to their brightest color, then okay, chill so them, and then put a starter culture with them. Okay, but but you know I've done that also. Uh, you know there there is there there is this idea that some people hold that you shouldn't eat raw green beans. So I have tried blanching the green beans before I before I ferment them, mm-hmm. um, and then just adding garlic and um, and dill. 
and the mm-hmm. garlic and dill as a raw vegetable introduced with the cooked vegetable ah. uh, you know, actually provides plenty of lactic acid bacteria. Yeah, I never thought about it. I'm usually adding whey, which can oh, add, if you're for anyone who's got a good sense of smell and taste, you can sometimes pick up the whey, and it's a little off-putting sometimes. Well, some people like it, some people don't. I mean, yeah. I think that, you know, I mean, Sally Fallon in her, um, you know, amazing book, uh, Nourishing Traditions, um, you know, is really who has popularized the idea of using whey as a starter for fermenting vegetables. And if you have a practice with milk in your life where you're producing whey, that's a perfectly wonderful thing to do with it. Um, you know, but if you're not working, if, if you're not working with milk and producing whey, there's no reason that you need to, you know, create some way, obtain some way, you know, you can do it perfectly well, um, you know, without adding whey, you know, other people make kombucha kraut and they add kombucha, other people make kefir kraut and they Mm -hmm. grind up kefir grains with vegetables as a starter, Uh, any of those can work fine, but, you know, my, you know, my point is that you don't need them. Um, you know, you can just work with, uh, you know, the organisms that are spontaneously present on all vegetables. And in general, any kind of a, um, you know, anything raw that you're fermenting, it is not necessary to add um, a, a starter unless you're trying to create some particular style of something. Ah, okay, sure. Mm-hmm. Want to if you want to, you can make beautiful raw milk cheese without adding any starter. But if you want to make a particular type of cheese, if you wanted to make brie cheese, um, you know, then you need to add particular kinds of organisms to uh, yeah. make that particular kind of. Yeah, um, you have to inoculate to achieve some specific, exactly odd result or something. Yeah, and I'm sure that was just discovered by accident and hit throughout history. You know. Um, like yeah, a, a not, blue cheese or something like that. Well, yeah, and I, I mean the thing is that that you know cheeses and all fermented uh, uh, products, you know, evolved as very particular local manifestations of conditions in particular places. Um, uh, you know, so so you know, really, all cheeses developed in in really particular places, and so you know. Now, when people are trying to reproduce them in lots of different kinds of environments, you know, you can, you can, there, there are, you know, websites that you can go to, suppliers uh, with catalogs, you know, where you can order, you know, hundreds of different kinds of cheese cultures, um, you know, but, but where they come from is from a spontaneous um, uh, um, event that happened in a particular place. And now we have the ability to, um, um, uh, propagate those and send them around the world, and then if people can create, um, uh, um, simulate, um, uh, you know, the right kinds of um, um, uh, aging conditions for the cheese, and use the right combination of bacteria and/or fungi, um, you know, people all around the world are making styles of cheeses that originated in other parts of the world. And, you know, and, mm-hmm. and really that's what we're doing when we make yogurt. You know, yogurt, yogurt um, you know, comes from, um, you know, roughly the, the, the eastern shore of the Mediterranean. Yeah, it's got the name um, Bulgaricus in it, so I can and, see. <laughs> you know, and then that's, 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 spread, um, that, that's spread around the world. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily think that anything is wrong with, um, you know, these, uh, you know, starters and, and, and cultures spreading. Um, you know, I just think it's uh, it's important to preserve some of the more obscure cultures, um, uh, and I think it can be very um, you know really magical and exciting to work with um, you know wild organisms that are just spontaneously present on our food or mm-hmm. or in our air. Yeah, <clears throat> and then um, more on the limitations. I don't want to just. Com- be completely negative but um i was amazed that you have things in this book that you know i just learned like a week or two ago about things like goitrogens histamines that there are things that could potentially be maybe not ideal for certain people you know say fermented food may not be the ideal food for you um so if you have a reaction to histamines those are increased during fermentation process and then there's goitrogens. Those are not removed during fermentation. So, you know, there's little 
little bits and pieces that if someone has a certain sensitivity that they should be aware of, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I would really, really emphasize that, like, you know, we are people are not one size fits all. You know, we, 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 we're not all the same, and different people have different, um, you know, sort of, um, uh, you know, quirks uh, <laughs> to their bodies, and. Um, you know, I think I think I think they're worth trying, but but um, you know, definitely, if you if you feel like you are not reacting well to a given food, let's take the example of goitrogen. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, certain vegetables have high levels of these compounds that are that are that are considered goitrogens, meaning that they. Um, um, you know, for for people with um, uh, with thyroid problems, they can um, uh, they can compound those thyroid problems, mm -hmm. and, and and cruciferous vegetables, which would include cabbages, um, um, you know, are uh, are goitrogenic. Um, and so there's not a lot of information about this, but, you know, there's at least one article, um, you know, that I've encountered that suggests that um, uh, fermentation does not um, uh, remove the goitrogenic um, uh, qualities from the cruciferous vegetables. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that someone who is sensitive to cruciferous vegetables can't enjoy uh, fermentation or fermented vegetables. It just means that they might have to ferment different vegetables, mm -hmm. than ones that are most commonly used. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for instance, an another combination that's um, uh, that's really lovely that doesn't inv in involve any cruciferous vegetables at all would be a, a carrot ginger ferment. Um, so, you know, I, I would just counsel people to be, um, you know, to, to be creative and try, try different things, you know, okay. So, if, so if, if sauerkraut made with cabbage creates a problem because you cannot tolerate cabbage, well, there's a whole world of other vegetables out there that you could experiment with and see if, um, you know, see if your body, uh, uh reacts better to, um, to some different combination of vegetables that does not include cabbage. Uh, that's great. That's perfect. Yeah. Excellent. This book is just the finest resource. Like I just mentioned that one little thing there. I would have never expected to see that in this book. And it, yet it, it just goes on and on. It, it, everything's covered. So I would implore anyone interested in fermentation, even if you're at expert level. They, this is like the desk reference <laughs> manual. Well, and yet it's also readable. You know, well, thank you, thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad you find it readable. And let me also just say that you know what what I've really tried to do. I mean, there's you know there there, there there's a long section of footnotes, and I, you know mm -hmm. I footnoted extensively. And um, you know, really, my my intention with this is to create um, you know a resource so that people who are, you know, I mean the the book is pretty broad, um, you know, but but I have really um, you know consulted the literature, much of which which is much more specific. Um, um, and so, um, you know, I have a, refer a, a, a um, further references section, further resources section, mm -hmm. where, you know, I, I list lots of, um, you know, books and, and, and web resources, uh, and in some cases, even uh, uh, magazines uh, and such. Um, and then I'll, I also have footnotes. So, you know, so if I do get into a, a, a if I do... Um, um, fleetingly reference, uh, you know, some something that that's kind of um, uh, technical and specific. Mm -hmm. You know, if someone is really interested in that topic, let's say goitrogenic vegetables, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm I, I'm trying to give my sources so that people can can go to the source and yeah. not make you know my one sentence. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, sort of citing the information that I that I encountered. I I love this that. A, no book is complete without at least a proper index, but you go much further. You, like you said, the resources, um, citations, references, I, I, it, that is really impressive. That I know that that's a massive amount of work. Um, how large was your team to create this book? Oh, it was mostly a solo project, I'll tell you. I mean, oh, really? I'm Lot, lots mm -hmm. of people contributed to it by sending me suggestions and, mm, and sure. throughout there there are sidebars that uh, you know feature other people's voices and you know other you know combinations that people tried or you know I innovative fermentation ideas that people had um, but uh, mostly mostly it was just me at various points I had a you know part-time assistant uh, helping me out with it but um, 
but mostly, mostly it was just me, my own uh, labor of um, obsession. <laughs> it's, it's a great and impressive piece of work, um, and thank, thanks for that. I did have a peculiar question for you, as a, as a, as being being the author and the. If someone were to buy your book, do you have a preference where they purchase it? Um, Either <clears throat> spiritually or monetarily or. You know, well, no. I mean, I'm really, I'm, 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 I'm very happy for anyone who's interested in my book to to get it wherever they want to. Okay. I mean, I, I love, I, uh, you know, I love small bookstores, and I, you know, I would certainly encourage anybody who lives in a place where there is a bookstore surviving to support their local bookstore, and um, you know, ask your local bookstore to to to, to get my book. Um, you know, for people who can't afford to buy a book, I, I mean, I think you know, libraries are, are are really wonderful institutions, and you know, I would encourage people to ask their libraries to uh, to get a copy of my book. Um, of course, I sell the book myself directly on my website, and I love when people order the book directly from me that's how Uh, i got mine i had just a basic instinct a feeling that that would be an appropriate way to buy the book but really where where, wherever people buy books uh is 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 fine with me i'm i'm not great i'm I'm not gonna you know bad mouth anywhere any 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 place that's you know i I definitely (laughs) didn't expect you to do that but if you had a preference (laughs) or if it made a difference i would just like to know more out of curiosity perhaps but well, we're going to have plenty of notes. I don't think people even need notes how to find things <laughs> anymore. There's Google. <laughs> right, right, right. It's quite, it's quite amazing. Um, so the book is The Art of Fermentation, an in-depth exploration of essential concepts and processes from around the world. And that's no joke. It's all in there. I love it. And um, I want to thank you. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Brian. I I, I really appreciate your uh, your interest and your your passion about uh, about sharing. Excellent. And if you produce another tome, let's get in touch again. <laughs> okay. Well, that'll be a few years. <laughs> All right. Maybe I'll see you at an event here or there. All right. Okie doke. I look forward to it. Bye now. Bye bye.